0: Science Podcast. My name is Todd Bublitz and welcome back to the first Sunday in Lent for the week of February 26, 2023 and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast and I'm really excited to talk about this week. The reason being is I feel like I have actually stumbled onto something this week that I am looking at texts in a way that I have never looked at them before and it's really exciting to me. It's part of the reason why I really enjoy doing this. It's really fun to be able to find where science really complements what is actually going on within the scripture and potentially opens us up to a whole new way of looking at text. Because of what we've been able to discover and find out. And I feel that this week, in particular, especially when we get to what is going on and how the science is lining up with it, it gives us a whole new understanding, I believe, and what is actually going on. And that to me gets me really excited. And I'm so happy to have stumbled across this this week. But Before we jump into this week's text, we have to look at last week's question, which was, how accepting are you of change? And I think it's a very personal question. It's a very difficult question. And it's interesting to hear different reactions from different people across ages because we realize that we need to change, but it's the rate at which we recognize the change. I know for me being in my early 30s that when I look at Gen Z and Gen Alpha that I'm a digital native in that I grew up with technology but there is a different level of digital nativeness that I'm looking at as these generations that are coming up and there's things that they just get and understand and even me not being that old. There's things where I can tell it takes me more time to figure out than they do. And that is somebody who isn't that old, really, in the scheme of things. And when we're looking at these older generations, it's the aspect of making sure that we're not fully leaving them behind, but also helping them along and recognizing that there is wisdom in that. And it's also this recognition in that that, We have to recognize the things that we like to cling on to, we like to hold on to, that there's probably going to be a time that we have to let them go. And that's, for whatever reason within our human nature, really difficult to do. And unfortunately, I don't feel that I have an answer for that. I think it's something that we all wrestle with in a lot of ways. And we all wrestle with it in a certain way, in a certain place. And that's where... For humankind, I think it's something that we wrestle with, and in a lot of ways, the wrestle in giving it to God allows us to be able to understand how God is continuing to work through those different situations. So let's just jump into it this week. This is a really exciting week, even though it's the beginning of this Lenten reflection, this reflection time of the year. So we are jumping into Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, and chapter 3, the first seven verses. This is where Adam and Eve are in the garden. They are told to eat basically anything in the garden except of the tree of knowledge. Do not eat of that tree. The serpent then tells Eve, and is said as a very crafty animal, tells Eve, why don't you eat of this? Eve, we've been told not to. And the serpent then continues with this argument of, well, why is it here? And why would God do that? It's because God's not wanting you to know the difference between good and evil. So Eve eats of the tree, gives it to Adam. They kind of had this enlightening moment, if you want to consider it that way. Their eyes are opened, as it says in verse 7 in chapter 3, and they realize they were naked. They sew fig leaves and make loincloths for themselves. So this idea of how they listen to the serpent suddenly then they realize something different and then are moving forward now remember we're still in that section of genesis also that's looked at more as poetry those first 12 books or so of genesis so play with that as you like but it's also this idea too of this recognition of how potentially sin came into the world the psalm that goes with this is Psalm 32, all 11 verses of it. And this is talking about how we have a God, we have a Lord who is banishes all the sin and what freedom in a lot of ways this does by us acknowledging our own sin and being able to offer it up in prayer and realizing that we have a God who is in those dark places, are willing to go to those places for us. And when we are crying out for deliverance, is there with us. And that I really like verse 9, do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle, else it will not stay near you. The idea of how In this, let's give our stuff to the Lord and then listen for what God is instructing us to do instead of fighting it like a jockey will have to work with the horse to get it to do what it needs to do. Instead, listen and relax and allow God to lead us where we're needing to be. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The last two verses, verses 10 and 11. This idea of a freedom, this letting go of, is allowing us to be able to move forward and letting go of that sin. And it's one of the things that's discussed quite a bit here in this psalm. The New Testament text or second reading this week is out of Romans chapter 5 verses 12 through 19. Paul then is picking up on this similar theme that's kind of been established here that sin came into the world but then we have this person who has exercised the faith to be able to give this free gift of forgiveness. This person who has taken on all the sins and transgressions that have come, even as you've had people who have tried to walk out the faith as good as possible. And in doing this, it has allowed us to have this abundance of grace, as it says in verse 17, and free gift of righteousness that comes through Christ. This abundance of new life that comes through what christ did for us and that should allow us then to realize that we were not able to do that ourselves realize that we need to be able to follow god in doing that and that means continuing and not just spoken word but in obedience on where god then is steering us to go the gospel text this week is out of matthew chapter 4 the first 11 verses And this is Jesus' account of the temptation in Matthew's gospel. So Jesus is led by the spirit into the wilderness and is tempted by the devil fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And the tempter, as it says in verse 3, You are the son of God. Command these rocks to become loaves of bread. Jesus responds with, One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil takes him then to a holy city and places him on the pinnacle of the temple. You are the son of God, throw yourself down. And then it states, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, he will bear you up so you do not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus responds in verse seven with, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The devil, again, takes him to a high mountain where he's able to see all the kingdoms of the world in all splendor. And I will give all these if you fall down and worship me, coming from verse 9. This is where Jesus says, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil left him, and suddenly the angels came and waited on Jesus. And so it's the temptation story, especially as we're entering into Lent, this recognition of our frailty, but how much God is able to do when we're so bodily frail. And I think there is a little bit more, as I kind of hinted at the beginning, I think there is a little bit more to this that also helps us understand how God designed us. And I think it's super cool. But before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do a shameless plug for oh, Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out in Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainways podcast, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help bring you this podcast. So I'd highly recommend checking out the amazing resource that Working Preacher is. I'd highly recommend it. But I'd also highly recommend the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. Not only do I really enjoy how they lay out the text week to week, but they have art. And we've talked about how awesome it is to be able to see art from around the globe throughout time and how people are looking at these texts. Along with prayers, hymns, liturgical colors. If you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. Temptation. We have all experienced temptation, and especially as we are moving and entering into Lent, it's something that we talk about quite a bit, especially that we have a lot of people who give up something, or in my case, I really like doing something typically for Lent. Christ did something for me, so I can do something different in Lent. And the temptation for us to let it go, the temptation to let it pass by, The temptation to do something that we shouldn't be doing is always there. And when we look into the human mind, it's been something that has been looked at and has been studied, and I find it absolutely fascinating, and I have to do my shout-outs to Harvard scientists Josh Green and Joe Paxton, who have looked into the brain and looking at temptation. And we kind of draw's back to a couple of weeks ago we talked about sleep, which you haven't checked out that episode. I'd highly recommend it. Scary episode, but I'd highly recommend it. But we talked a little bit about the prefrontal cortex, which is the front part of your brain which is for critical thought. And so one of the two competing hypotheses that they had with temptation is, is it willpower? So is it our critical thought that allows us to be able to think through situations, to work hard at, to be able to resist things? Or is it grace hypothesis? That it is essentially our ability to just be able to resist it, just our natural instinct. And in their test, what they did is they were doing these brain scans on people and made it appear that midway through this brain scan that they were suddenly getting the answers and before that they were getting about 50% right and suddenly now the answers were being presented to them and so the question became is it the willpower that's taking over or is it this grace instinct And their hypothesis was, is if they are doing the will, that there would be a lot of cognitive function because they're thinking through the scenario, thinking through what's the better thing to do here in this situation and being able to evaluate whether or not they should be taking these answers or whether or not they should admit that they were hearing this when they came out. And so if they're working through that, there would be a lot of brain function and that should be able to be picked up on a brain scan. Whereas the grace hypothesis saying that it's an instinct, there really shouldn't be any thought going into it. It should just happen. And when they ran the test, the hypothesis that they were able to support and has been, you know, peer reviewed and continued to be built upon is the grace hypothesis. Why is this so important? Why is this so important? Because this is stating that it's not our own will that forces us to be able to resist temptation. This is stating that it is built into who we are. Now, look back at that Matthew text, the first 11 verses of chapter 4. When Jesus is being, quote, tempted, Jesus responds with these quotes. Jesus responds with his nature. It's his automatic response. He's not letting it go into cognitive thought. He is reacting as God had pictured us to be designed to be. It's the Trinity, it's God being God's self and showing this is how I am designed and this is how I designed you. Now, flip to the Genesis text, the couple verses in chapter two, but it's specifically the first seven verses of chapter three. The serpent taps into the cognitive function of Eve, the cognitive function of man. When the serpent even starts Did God say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden right away? And Eve responds, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. So that's Eve's response. So the serpent responds, you will not die. For God knows that you will eat and your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desire You hear this? Listen to verse 6 as I'm reading through this. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise she took its fruit and ate it and she also gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The first half of this is all cognitive thought. She looked at the fruit. It looked good. It's pleasing to the eye. Oh, and think about what we could be able to understand and how much better we could serve God if we know what is good and evil. Now we're not acting on the instinct of who God created us to be. We are now using this cognitive brain, we are thinking this through, we are trying to be overly logical, and we fall flat. Now when we start looking at like the psalm and confessing these transgressions, it's this repairing of trying to reestablish this instinct that has been built into us by us being able to recognize when we are falling flat and at least acknowledging it to God. And then being open to be able to hear and instruct on where we're able to go. The instruction in the teaching is to help us be able to re-get into this instinct. This is where the obedience and then when we're going through this and recognizing that we're going to fall flat. That then the recognition of what Christ did for us gives us the confidence to keep moving forward. And recognizing that we need to continue to obey. Part of what this study out of Harvard and they were talking about, and I'll attach some links down below, we hear these stories of heroism and we hear the stories of how people run into burning buildings to save people or to save pets or whatever, or that there's someone drowning. So they jump into the river and they ask them afterwards, what were you thinking? And they said, I didn't think before I knew it, I was in the water before I knew it, I was in the building. At those moments, you could argue they're reacting on the instinct of how God has designed them to be. They weren't going through the cognitive thought of what was the risk-reward of the situation. We reacted, we went, we did, and we did whatever was needing to be done. Yes, in a lot of ways, we wish it was our own will. We wish that it was our own willpower, that we could critically think things through enough to be able to process enough and have this prefrontal cortex that is so built up that we would be able to process all this so quickly and be able to weigh cost reward and know when to do da da, 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 da. and we could think all this through and this is what i'm going to do and people will talk about you don't know until it's actually right there in front of you how you're going to react and we gosh darn know that And the thing is, is here is Jesus stating and showing us, this is how I designed you. I don't always want you cognitively breaking down every aspect of life. There are things where I just want you to react and trust that I am in that. I want you to be able to trust so much that you don't have to turn on that prefrontal cortex. You don't have to turn on that frontal cortex. You're trusting me. You're letting me work. You're letting me do this grace hypothesis and just react the way that I designed you to react. This is a hard message because it's a message of trust over analyzing in a world that loves analyzing. Heck, science is about gather the data so we can analyze it. When do we trust? When do we let God react and move through us when we have to break everything down mentally? One of the things, and I can't get into too much detail, but one of the things that I have been working through personally is realizing how much I like to analyze things to my own detriment. That I will hold things in and try to figure out the solutions to everything to the point where I actually hurt myself, to the point where I hurt relationships, to the point where I lose myself because I'm trying to use that prefrontal cortex and the frontal cortex to figure everything out. If we are to trust and follow Jesus as Paul is talking about in Romans, We need to be like in the psalm willing and freely being able to express what is actually going on. If we are going to strive to be like Jesus, we have to be able to align ourselves to understand there are times where we just need to react and trust that God is in the reaction instead of processing everything. And I don't know about you, but I know for myself that's difficult. But it's also freeing. It's difficult to allow myself the freedom to just react because I want to be able to feel like I'm in control. And yes, God gave us this free will, but in following, we're somewhat giving that up. We're recognizing that we're trusting how God made us. We're trusting that the Holy Spirit is within us and working through us. We're trusting that the grace hypothesis is within all of us. The ability to do what is right instead of what we can process is right. It's hard. It's hard giving up that control. It's hard giving up that processing. It's hard, especially being from a world that values critical thought. And it's not saying that we never do it. And that's the balance. That's the hard part of this is figuring out when do we just trust that God is in the instinct? So the question I have for you this week is when was the last time that you trusted that God was in the instinct instead of overthinking? When was the last time that you trusted that God was in the instinct instead of overthinking. I see a lot of problems within our world today that we are thinking about all the scenarios, and there's a time and a place for that. But sometimes I wonder if the instinct of just going and having a conversation, or potentially sitting and talking with a person, or giving them a hug, or asking them how their day is going instead of diving right into the meat and potatoes of whatever the issue is, is the instinct that we actually need to be following. It's those moments that we are actually then allowing ourselves to give grace, to allow our humanity to show. Our moments where we're trying to be like Jesus and be able to resist all the temptations, but realizing that it's not by our own will that we can resist temptation. It's God working through us that we're able to. And that's hard. And we're going to fall down. And we're going to have days where we're not successful. But giving ourselves the grace to be like the psalm and cry out to God and allow ourselves to actually do that. If we were able to do that, I truly believe our world would look much different. As we are entering into this Lenten season and we're reflecting on what Christ did for us, and as we are preparing for this season of trying to acknowledge what Christ did for us, maybe it's time for us to also acknowledge where we get in the way of the Holy Spirit and God trying to work through us in our instincts. It's hard. It's difficult. Maybe it's time to also see it as a holy practice, something that we can trust and see how God works because I think we all know and have all seen those times where we actually just let God do and we don't necessarily know why we're doing it that way and suddenly something amazing happens and here we have the neuroscience behind and showing the best way to actually resist temptation is not our own willpower it's tapping into something much greater than ourselves And allowing what we acknowledge as the Holy Spirit working through us in our instinct, through the grace hypothesis. And as I look at Lent, and I look at the season that we're going into, and I look at the world in which we're in, I think this is something we need. And I think it's something that isn't easy, but we also know that the faith that we're trying to follow, the perfecter of our faith, as we can see easily, In this text and how easily it appears that God is just able to react to the temptations that Satan tries to throw and is able to react beautifully instead of overthinking. The contrast between Genesis and Matthew is stark. When we trust on our own abilities instead of trusting on God's abilities is something that the world needs. And maybe we need to embrace that more. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith. And amazes you through science.